0: Hello and welcome to Bill Stern's Sports Newsreel from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors.
1: C-O-L-G-A-T-E, Colgate presents Bill Stern with a Colgate Sports Newsreel. Discern the, the Colgate Shakery Man is on the air. Discern the, the Colgate Shakery Man with stories rare. Take his advice and you'll look keen. You'll get a shave. It's smooth and clean. You'll be a Colgate brushless fan. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Bill Stern bringing you the 255th edition of the Colgate Sports Newsreel. Our guest tonight is the most famous mind reader in the world, Mr. Dunninger. But first, real 1. Profile of Big League Baseball's Beginnings. Did you ever wonder about the beginning of big league baseball, how it came to be organized? Well, there's quite a story behind this. But let's begin the story in the beginning. Baseball as a sport actually began to be popular way back in 1845. Oh, there were no organized leagues then and only a few teams. One of these baseball teams came out of Indiana. It wasn't the best baseball team in America, but it was the roughest was made up of crooks and counterfeiters who could play a little baseball and who decided to travel around the country cleaning up the easy money that the public was willing to pay back in those days to see any kind of a baseball team. However, back in 1875, the public became fed up with these ballplayers' dirty playing and stopped going to see these crooks play baseball. That meant there was no more money coming in for them. They needed money badly. So one day, they hit on a daring plan this baseball team decided to go back to stealing. Only, believe it or not, this time, they decided to try and steal the body of Abraham Lincoln from its tomb. They'd only return Lincoln's body if they were paid a quarter of a million dollars. It was a fantastic plan. Abraham Lincoln was buried at Springfield, Illinois. And so, on the night of November the 6th, 1876 these former baseball players actually went to Springfield, Illinois, sawed off the lock on Lincoln's tomb, crept inside and began to steal the coffin that contained the body of Abraham Lincoln when they were caught red-handed by the police. But the crooks were not as dumb as you might think. For at their trial, they argued that since there was no law then in Illinois against stealing a body, they had therefore committed no crime. And strange as it seems, they were right... And the most the court could give them was 12 months in jail for disturbing the peace. After they'd served their short sentences, these men came out of prison and again tried to form a baseball team, figuring that the notoriety they'd achieved in trying to steal Lincoln's body would make the public curious to again see them play. And they might have started playing baseball again had not all the decent baseball teams in America tried to stop them. And the decent baseball teams did stop them by banding together and forming an organization to keep those crooks out. And that organization of baseball teams was called the National League. And to this day, it's still our major league. And so, strange but true, baseball might still be completely unorganized. We might never have had the National League had not a bunch of crooks tried to steal Lincoln's body. After the National League was organized... And these crooks found out they could no longer play baseball in this country. They left the country for some spot where they could still exhibit themselves. And they finally wound up in South America. For a while, they were successful. South America had never seen baseball before. But one day in Montevideo, a strange thing happened. The whole baseball team became deathly sick with a dreaded yellow fever. One player had caught it and passed it on to another until they all had it. Quickly, they were rushed to a nearby hospital. But there was then no cure for yellow fever. And inside of 48 hours, all nine men were dead. And that was the end of the men who had once tried to steal Abraham Lincoln's body. But what do you think the name of that hospital was where these men died? Well, that hospital had been a gift from the people of the United States. And it was named the Abraham Lincoln Memorial. Profile of a fitting fate. Real, too. You know, it seems that now and then, when I mention the shaving problems of sport headliners, one of my listeners would get mad, so one day he sat down and wrote me this letter. Read it, will you, Charlie? Okay, Bill. Friends, this letter comes from Mr. C.C. Dennis, Atlanta, Georgia, and he says, Dear Bill Stern, I've been hearing your broadcast for quite a while in which you extol the champions of the sports world. It may be that, in your opinion, only these sports giants have tough, wiry beards. I think you'll find, however, that the small fellows have beards as tough as a Tilden, the Babe Ruth, or the Coopers. Take me, for example. I wouldn't weigh 150 pounds soaking wet, but my beard is heavy, tough, and wiry, and shaving was a torture. That was until I began to use Colgate Brushless Shave Cream. Now shaving is a pleasure. Yes, Mr. Stern, the small fellows have tough beards, too. And that's probably why so many of them use Colgate Brushless, the shave cream of champions. Signed, C.C. Dennis. Well, I think Mr. Dennis has got something there. Colgate Brushless does give championship shaving performance every time. The tougher your beard, the better you'll appreciate this rich, active cream that stays moist to the last second and scores a no-snag, no-pull finish. And it's made for all you guys with hard-to-shave whiskers and naturally dry-sensitive skin. What's more, if you're not as enthusiastic about Colgate Brushless as Buster Crab, Babe Ruth, or Bill Tilden. Well, just send the top of the cart to me, Bill Stern, Kara Colgate, Jersey City, Zone 2, New Jersey. And I'll see that you get double your money back. Real three. Colgate's camera close-up of Dunninger. Each Wednesday night over another network, Dunninger amazes the whole nation with his uncanny mental exhibitions. He's the most famous mind reader in the world, and here he is in person, Mr. Dunninger. Good evening, Bill. You want me to read your mind? Not now, maybe later. First, I want to find out some personal things about you. Go ahead, Bill. What would you like to know? Well, do you like sports? Yes. My favorite is automobile racing. Any favorite sports heroes? Well, yes. A racing driver named Barney Oldfield. Say, uh, that reminds me. I know a great human interest story about Barney Oldfield. Uh, may I tell it? Well, by all means, Dunninger, go right ahead. All right, Bill. Once Barney Oldfield was at the Los Angeles Auto Races when he had a strange hunch that something was wrong at home with his daughter, Betty. Quickly, he left the auto races, drove home, and when he got there, he found out his hunch had been right. His daughter was doubled up in pain, and only a quick emergency operation saved her life. Now, you wouldn't say that was the power of mind reading, would you? Hey, and speaking of mind reading, since you're the most famous mind reader in the world, can you tell me what's on my mind? (laughs) Listen, Bill. I don't have to be a mind reader to know that you're thinking about Colgate shave cream. It's not only on your mind, it's on your face. Well, how do you like that? Thank you so much. Good luck and good night, Mr. Dunninger. Good night, Bill. Good night, sir. Real four. Portrait of a tennis racket. This story begins on the tennis courts of France. To be exact. Our story really begins at the tennis tournament held on the French Riviera back in 1934. It was the annual French Riviera Midwinter Tennis Tournament. And most of the players entered under assumed names, for these were society people who had little use for publicity. Playing as a mixed doubles team were a handsome Englishman and a beautiful European girl. Each had entered under an assumed name. Each was trying to avoid publicity. They reached the semifinal round before they were finally beaten, but not before they'd been together for ten days and not before they'd fallen in love. The last night of that tennis tournament found these two together as usual. She a vision in loveliness, he very much in love.
0: I say, we've had enough dancing... May I talk to you for a moment? Of course. Why have you been looking so miserable all night long? I'll tell you why. Ten days ago, I came here to enter the tennis tournament. I suppose you did, too. Well, anyhow, we drew each other for tennis partners. At first, it was fun. But then, well, as I got to know you better, well, you must have guessed. I fell in love with you. Oh, but I. I... Yes, I know it was stupid. But I did. Why do you say it was stupid? Because, like most everyone else here, I'm playing tennis under an assumed name. You see, I can't just go around falling in love with anyone. Because I'm the son of the king and queen of England. Oh! I'm Prince George. Someday I'll be the Duke of Kent and I have to marry someone of royal blood. (laughs) What are you laughing at? Is it a joke that I tell you I love you that that we can never marry? Oh, I'm laughing, dearest, because the joke is on me. I've been so horribly in love with you. But I, too, thought we could never marry because I, too, must marry someone of royal blood. My father, too, is a king, and like you, I was here under an assumed name. You see, I'm really the Princess Marina of Greece. Princess Marina? Yes. Oh, I should like to remember this moment forever and ever. The night is so beautiful. And the music's beautiful. What is it? New by Noel Card. It's called, I'll See You Again. It's my favorite piece. I think it's lovely. Now it's our favorite piece. I shall always remember this night. Always when I hear it.
1: And so, the son of the King of England was married to the daughter of the King of Greece. In the years that followed, they had three children. He became the Duke of Kent. And as the storybooks always end each love story, they lived happily ever after. That is, they lived happily ever after until two years ago, when he was killed. Killed in an airplane crash while flying for the RAF. When the Duke of Kent died, he left behind him a letter. A letter addressed to his wife. A letter which was never made public, but which we read publicly only on this program tonight by special permission of the official British Ministry of Information. And the letter read, Darling, when you receive this letter, I will be dead. For I've left instructions that only if I'm killed in the service of my country is this letter ever to be delivered to you. You and I have lived happy years together. I shall always remember the first day we met. We were partners in a tennis match. And that night we heard a melody that became our favorite. I recall it to you now, dearest, only because its title expresses so clearly the thought that's in my heart. For I know that even though I'm dead, somewhere, somehow, I'll see you again. We told this story tonight because the Duke of Kent died exactly two years ago this very night. yet this afternoon, in commemoration of the second anniversary of his death, a strange ceremony took place in England's Wimbledon Stadium, where the English tennis championships are always played. Here, the famous tennis rackets of past champions are kept. Today, another tennis racket was added. It was mounted in bronze, and below it was the following official British government inscription. This tennis racket... Belonged to the Duke of Kent. And it brought together two of the royal families of Europe. Portrait of a tennis racket. Real five, Charles McCarthy. Colgate Brushless is the name, the shaving cream of champion fame. The toughest whiskers it will tame, so every shave's a winning game. That's right, men. Colgate Brushless, the shave cream of champions, is a winner. This light, fluffy cream stays moist, clear through your shave. Keep your whiskers soft. Let your razor shear them off as easy as fuzz without pulling or after irritation. Brother, you can kiss your shaving troubles goodbye because Colgate Brushless, the shave cream of champions, is made for you. And now back to Bill Stern. Real six, a Colgate Candid Camera catches the story behind the store. Exclusive, Hollywood, California. Last Wednesday night, California saw what looked like another phony fight. This fight, however, was definitely not fixed. For one of the fighters is owned by Harry James, and the other fighter was owned by Lana Turner. Two people who do not have to fix fights for a living. And that's the 3-0 mark for tonight. Next week, ladies and gentlemen, the Colgate Sports Newsreel begins its annual nationwide tour of the college campuses. Each weekend, as usual, we'll be broadcasting the biggest college football games from wherever they occur. And so this program, each Friday night, will originate from whatever city the big game is being played in. Next Friday night, we'll be broadcasting this program from the city of Detroit, as we'll be en route to the University of Michigan. And so until next Friday night at our usual time, I'll be seeing you on the screen in the news of the day newsreel at your favorite Lowe's or associated theaters. And now, this is Bill Stern wishing you all a good, good night until this same time next Friday night. Bill Stern, the colgate Shaker
0: man, is on his way. Bill Stern, the colgate Shaker man, had lots to say.
1: He told you, tales the sports heroes, the inside dope he really also listening listen in next Friday night. C-O-L-G-A-T-E. Bill Stern's latest sports short, entitled K9 Canine Cadets, is now playing the nation's theater. This is the National Broadcasting Company.